And now, the world's most exciting podcast, The Savage Nation, home of borders, language, culture. Here he is, Michael Savage. Many seats in the General Assembly Hall may become empty. Empty if Russia succeeds with its treachery and aggression. All right, Colonel, a pleasure as usual. I'm going to open uh, with a horrible thought because I read your most recent article because I agree 100% where it's going. You said, um, confronted with a weak economy, higher yields and lower prices for treasury bonds, the Biden administration and its partner on Capitol Hill, the Washington's unit party, really have two choices. First, cut U.S. and allied losses in Ukraine reduce discretionary spending and focus on domestic emergencies at the southern border and America's largest cities. Or second, you write, the administration and the Uniparty can escalate the conflict with Moscow. I vote they're going to escalate the conflict with Moscow and play brinksmanship because these are a gang of people who have never been in a fist fight by and large. They're fraternity boys. They don't even understand combat. You as a veteran, you knew, you know what I'm talking about. The most vociferous warmongers are those who never were in, mili- in the military. No, I, I think you're probably right, at least in the short run. I think the other things may catch up with them uh, over the next few months sooner than they anticipate. But no, I think you're right. And I think we already see evidence for that. By the way, it's funny that you mentioned the uh, nature of the people in charge, because I, I gave a presentation at the Ron Paul Institute conference. And just before I went on, I was talking to various people and they said, well, you know, this government is so strong. How do we overcome these people? <laughs> and and so I said, don't be ridiculous. I said, these are some of the most unimpressive people I've ever met. Most of them look like the kids that uh, used to beat the crap out of at recess in school uh, or worse, or people you punched out at a bar for entertainment. None of these people are very strong. So, no, I agree with you completely. Uh, I just I just don't know how far they're going to get before things close in. Remember, we now are our payments to service the national sovereign debt are now equal to or a little higher than the entire defense budget. Savage. Michael Savage, a host like no other. Middle East on the brink, North Korea on the brink. Iran increasing its aggression, elections in Taiwan. Look, there's a lot of global instability as we ourselves plunge into primary season. How have you sheltered your savings and investments from potential major setbacks to the economy? You think it can happen here? It can happen here, but it's not too late to diversify an old IRA or 401k into gold. And Birch Gold Group can help you with that. Birch Gold is the only gold company I trust. As opposed to many other investments, gold Gold thrives in times of uncertainty. It is an important part of diversifying your savings. Now listen, here's how Birch Gold can help make it a part of yours. Birch Gold will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold. And it doesn't cost you a penny out of pocket. You want to learn more? Just text SAVAGE to 989-898 for a free info kit. S-A-V-A-G-E, text it to 989-898 and you get a free info kit. It costs you nothing. Just text SAVAGE to 989 with an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, countless five-star reviews, and thousands of happy customers, I encourage you to arm yourself with the knowledge of diversification through precious metals. Protect yourself. Text SAVAGE to 989-898 and claim your free info kit. Protect your savings with gold. Do it now. Text SAVAGE to 989-898. Thank you very much. Birch Gold is the only gold company I trust. Text SAVAGE to 989-898. Yeah, but Colonel, you're you're talking in reality. These people live in an alternate universe. There's there's a lot of evidence for that. Yeah, there's no accountability. Yeah, no consequences because the people in the media are their twins. So now we're 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 in this week, and by the time this podcast appears on Friday, the great man Zelensky will have spoken uh, to Congress and the United Nations. Uh, The last poll I read, a leading Republican said there are not enough votes in Congress on the Republican side 
to give the grifter another $24 billion? What do you think? Oh, I, uh, I'm not sure. I, I think that's open to debate. You and I have watched this Congress for a long time. Mm. And, and the Uniparty is the dominant force. I know there are outliers on the Republican side, and I think there may be one or two outliers on the Democrat side, but I don't think there are enough of them to stop it. I'd be very surprised. Wouldn't you? Well, I don't know. I, I suspect that nothing stops on its own accord. So Zelensky is coming in for more money. Biden's pushing at the U.N. today for more money for him. The Pope is pushing for more money for him while blathering on about climate change. I tweeted recently and I saw that, that that Bill Clinton is now cashing in on the climate game, along with Soros Jr. Meeting with the Pope. Did you see that, Colonel? Uh, yes. Well, you know, I, uh, I, I'm not a Catholic and I am disinclined to criticize other people's religious hierarchies. But I must say, this pope is probably the worst in history. It's hard to find anybody worse than this man. In Government Zero, I called him Lenin's pope. I didn't hold anything back. Well, if not Lenin, certainly Karl Marx's favorite child, right? I never saw anything like this. You know, for a bouncer, he's pretty smart. So I did hashtag climate hoax. When the Pope Clinton and Soros give up their private jets, I'll give up my gas stove. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, it's, it's, it's obviously true. <clears throat> but somebody sent something, you know, when I posted that on Facebook this morning, Colonel, uh, a fan of mine, David Collum, wrote this. and I've, It's been plaguing me. He said, endless war in Ukraine polluting the world, polluting the world. And the Democrats say the climate is the most important thing ever. All the explosions, fires, pollution. And it dawned on me, where's the climate there? They're, they're throwing ink into the fountain of Trevi to stop, you know, the use of oil. Do they understand at all what one artillery shell releases into the atmosphere? No, and I don't think they care. As long as the artillery shells are falling on people that they think are their enemies. Right now, it happens to be Russians. But I sometimes wonder whether or not they don't see us in the same light. You know, I'm, I, the other thing that I'm worried about is uh, something that we bring up from time to time, but nobody seems to really dig in. And that's this massive invasion through the southern border. Oh, I mean, we're up on. over 2.3 million. And the thing that's, that scares me most of all are all these new laws at the state level that are designed to encourage mass cheating in elections, yeah. mass mail-in ballots, vote online. I mean, it's gotten to the point of absurdity. I don't see how anybody can win an election uh, in a fair and open environment right now. It, it's, it makes Arizona look respectable based upon the last election. That's pretty bad. Please don't be an election denier, Colonel. Uh, <laughs> uh, Colonel, again, let's go back to, to the uh, um, the F-16. It's it's a, a 1970s era plane, but it's still quite potent. Yes. Of course, uh, Tell me again, as a, as a non-military guy, my understanding is, I think we've discussed this as, as near, a year ago, everything moving in and out of Ukraine on a military level is picked up by Russian satellites, Yes, whether it be trains bringing in tanks or ammunition yeah. from Poland or any other neighboring states. How are the F-16s going to get into Russia? In, sorry, into Ukraine. They're going to Fly them in? It depends on where they lift off from. I mean, right now we think the SU-24s that fired the Storm Shadow missiles left airfields on the very edge of western Ukraine. In other words, near Lvov or Lviv, as they call it. The Austrians called it Lembeck back before 1918. Western Ukraine has some air airstrips, several of them. So if you lift off from that distance then try to evade the radar for some period of time, fly low, whatever the answer happens to be. You then can get into central Ukra Western Ukraine and launch your missiles and disappear before you're going to be shot down. Hmm. And that's what they did with the Su-24s. Now, I'm sure that the Russians have since then looked at all of these airstrips and airfields in the West. I would be very surprised if we do not wake up at some point and discover that they've all been vaporized. But again, the Russians will target the airstrips in Western Ukraine. Yes. But I think the Russians have once again exercised restraint. They said, look, if we destroy everything right up to the border, we always risk another confrontation with NATO. This is Putin. This is where Putin has intervened and held back.
So Putin's sort of the almost a, a, a dove by what you're saying. He's like a peacenik. Well, compared with everybody else that could replace him, I would say absolutely. And well, remember, who, who would replace him? Let's we've been hearing he's senile. He had neurological diseases. He was dying of kidney disease. He was in a nut house. He was on his last legs two years ago. All propaganda all the time. And here he is looking better than ever. Uh, so now we're going to hear that he's uh, a warmonger when, in fact, you're saying the opposite, that he's actually a dove. Well, he wants he understands that when you fight a war, you fight for specific reasons. But one of the things you don't want to do is destroy the potential for future conflict resolution. In other words, you, you want to end the war in a way where you're not permanently poisoning the waters against your former adversaries. Uh -huh. he, he wants to be able to do business with the West. He's not interested in invading Europe. If anybody who looked at the Soviet state structure knew that putting Russian forces on the ground in Eastern Europe was a disaster. It cost a lot of money. There was no real return on the investment. It was not a good money maker. And it poisoned the populations against them. But this is the neocon, Colonel, this is the neocon party line uh, since this war began. Putin wants to reestablish the ex-Soviet Union. If we don't stop him in Ukraine, he will next take over Poland and the Baltic states. And then he will take over the world. But it, it, it's still prevalent. You still see it on the Internet. Well, you remember not very long ago, we had people say the same thing about Iraq. If we don't fight them in Iraq, we'll be fighting them in Los Angeles. Oh, yeah, right. We'll fight them on our streets. Don't you remember Lyndon Baines Johnson in 1966, 67? You can listen to the tapes. Well, you know as well as I do, if we don't fight them over there, they're going to come here. Well, you know, I, I could just see all these Arabs loading up in canoes and paddling <laughs> their way to North America. Well, the, Mexican, the Mexicans are fighting us on the streets here. They're killing our police on a pretty... A hefty pace. Well, yeah, but we invited them, remember? Savage. The Savage Nation. It's Savage On Demand. We have to stand up to this naked aggression today and deter other would-be aggressors tomorrow. That's why the United States, together with our allies and partners around the world, will continue to stand with the brave people of Ukraine as they defend their sovereignty and territorial integrity and their freedom. We have an election cycle, presidential election. It's a matter of question whether Biden will even make it to the finish line or drop out. I think they're getting ready to force him to uh, to, to drop out and, and have Newsom take over. That's my my best guess is they're going to move, move Newsom into the lead and he's going to run and probably win. That's my guess right now, by the way. Uh, which is a separate issue. But given that we're into an election cycle, the Democrats don't want this war to get worse before an election, do they? It depends. I uh -huh. mean, I think it matters. Uh-huh. I mean, thus far, has it mattered? No. It's back to the question we raised before about the average American doesn't feel the effects. Well, if they'd elect Fetterman <laughs> wearing dirty shorts and a T-shirt. Do you remember, you remember when Newt Gingrich... Uh, got into a fight with Bill Clinton and shut down the government. Wow. And, yeah. Yeah. I, I was there. I remember this. And I remember watching someone interview this young man on a bicycle in, in San Francisco. And he had a case of beer strapped <laughs> to the back of his bicycle. And they said, sir, sir, will you talk to us? He said, sure. He said, what do you think about the government shutdown? He said, well, you know, I, I don't know uh, why. He said, well, aren't you concerned about it? And he said, well, it doesn't really affect me. Right. That's the way the average person thinks. It's the same in Germany, for example. They just had a gathering of thousands of people wearing dog masks who consider themselves human dogs. This is in Germany. Yeah. You have Africans rioting in Stuttgart for yeah. not being given enough welfare. Yeah. Where is the backbone of, of Germany? Where did it well, go? It, it was largely destroyed in the Second World War. And in the years since the Second World War, we have scrupulously re-educated them to feel permanently oh. guilty for everything that was wrong and everything that happened. You know, it's back to this discussion of the Second World War. No one ever brings up Stalin. No one talks about what Stalin and Bolshevism did. Mm. Focus exclusively on Hitler, Hitler, Hitler. He's everything. We don't tell the truth about Europe and fascism 
and why it grew and, and came to power. We just ignore all of that. We have a, a very myopic, one-dimensional view of everything. And by the way, we also think we won the war. We don't bother to point out that we were one of several parties that were fighting the war. And, you know, the Ukrainians have now lost more men killed in the last 19, 20 months than we lost in the entire Second World War. It's hard to fathom that the average person doesn't understand it. And moreover, they don't care. They just don't care. But going into an election cycle, I would think, but I could be wrong, as you just expressed, maybe uh, they like war. War is very bad for the Democrat Party. 50% of Republicans don't want the war. What percent of the Democrats want the war to end? I don't know. Do you have any data on that? Um, no, but I think that unless uh, we are stupid enough and foolish enough to commit U.S. ground forces to Western Ukraine, nothing will change in the short run because those ground forces would come under fire and Americans would be killed. And if Americans were killed, what would the response be in the United States? Well, outrageous. More war. No, you know, who did this? Why is this happening? Evil Russia. They shouldn't even be there. The average American doesn't know where it is. I mean, I tell people all the time, I spent years in graduate school and subsequently studying Central East Europe. People don't understand the Ukraine. They don't know what went on there for hundreds of years. They don't understand the Russians. Come on. This is ridiculous. What are we doing there? We're making it worse. That's what we're doing. And we need to stay out of these things. Do you think this is going to end or it's going to get worse? It's a coin. It's a coin okay. loss. But I think, you know, I think in the short run, it'll get worse. Hmm. In the long run, I think the other factors that we have been discussing will have a mitigating impact. And I think the, there will be a recognition that we just can't afford to involve ourselves in a direct front confrontation with either Russia or China. September 19th, Defense Secretary Austin, M1 Abrams tanks to enter Ukraine soon. In their counteroffensive against Moscow's troops, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin, or I call Lord Austin, said today uh, that this is going to be a game changer. 31 tanks to Kiev, part of the more than $43 billion in security assistance pledged by the U.S., blah, blah, blah. I'm pleased to announce that the M1 Abrams tanks that the United States had previously committed to will be entering Ukraine soon, said Austin, at the opening of the Ukraine Defense Contact Group. They'll be paired with 120 millimeter armor piercing depleted uranium rounds. How's that for the environment, Colonel? Yeah, well, I guess they're not climate conscious, are they? Yeah, they're not, not very green, that's for sure. I'm surprised our allies will tolerate that. Well, what's going to happen? You're a tank expert, obviously. You led a big tank battle in Iraq. Uh, is this going to be a game changer, the M1 Abrams? No, absolutely not. Because Why? warfare has changed, first of all. A lot of these tanks could be destroyed by top attack as soon as they're within range of any number of Russian strike assets. In other words, the tanks may never get close enough to do any damage. Secondly, the tanks themselves run on fuel that, that goes into a turbine engine. The turbine engine in the M1 series tank. Heat signature. Uh, well, not just heat signature. Sure, that's easy to track from space. Low Earth orbiting satellites can see all of our tanks because it burns fuel at a, at a very high temperature. But more important, it's about an eight-hour tank. In other mm. words, eight hours after eight hours of operation, it's out of gas. It doesn't matter whether you're moving or sitting still. Now, they put an auxiliary power pack on that thing so that in theory you could sit there, run, run off auxiliary power until suddenly the enemy shows up and you have to fight. Well, that's a very hazardous prospect based on my own experience of fighting in the war. You, you have to be able, once you go into a combat zone, to react immediately. And we had a lot of trouble uh, routinely filling those tanks with, with uh, gas. We had to bring them off the lines every so many hours, refill them, and put them back in. Now, that, that was against the Iraqi army that did not have the overhead surveillance, that did not have the overhead strike assets. So we could do a lot of things there that the Ukrainians cannot do. And once again, the Ukrainians don't have the air and missile defense. So those tanks and whatever else is with them are effectively defenseless against much of what the Russians have to throw at them. 
Of course, they could make Musk produce Tesla-based tanks uh, so they could run a battery. <laughs> <laughs> but, Colonel, on a more serious note, you know, let's go back to the war because th- this is what's plaguing me. It's the biggest issue in my life. The border being broken by Biden and his gang of fools is certainly the most worrisome domestically. But you, um, you, I would say, I'm going to ask you, is the U.S. trying to provoke Russia into a nuclear exchange? From my position, Colonel, what the U.S. has been doing with their NATO allies like Stoltenberg, who really freaks me out, Stoltenberg. Uh, they've been probing Russia to see where their weaknesses may lie militarily. They've tried an awful lot to probe tanks, armored personnel carriers, uh, drones. They're encouraging Zelensky's uh, gang to sink Russian warships with 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 uh, weapons provided by the UK. Are they trying to see how far they can go if and when they could provoke Putin into a response to see how if he even has a nuclear arsenal that works? Are they under the interpretation, uh, the, the impression that his nukes are out of so out of date they wouldn't even work? Oh, no, I think that's ridiculous. Uh, the nuclear arsenal in Russia is in good shape. <clears throat> you could make that argument 20 years ago. But you can't make that argument now. That We call that launch reliability. Hmm. And uh, their launch reliability is very high, at how least as high as our own. How do we know this? Well, our intelligence officers know it. We know it because we have the ability to watch them. Uh, we can track their maintenance records, how they maintain the equipment. Hmm. Uh, they have a, a very substantial manufacturing base. They have control of all the components of nuclear weapons. This wasn't true 20, 25 years ago when Putin took over. Let's face it, Russia was in ruins. And uh, we were very worried at that point about the disappearance of warheads and nuclear materials. He went to work on that and, and completely straightened that out. Savage. The Savage Nation. It's savage, uncut, unfiltered, and raw. Is the U.S. trying to provoke Russia into a limited nuclear exchange? And if so, why? I, I don't think so, because they know that the Russians will not, under any circumstances, employ a nuclear weapon unless they are attacked by us with a nuclear weapon. The Russians have made that very clear, and they don't need it. I mean, if we've learned anything over the last several months, it's that the Russians enjoy absolute, undisputed, high-end conventional warfare superiority. They don't need any nuclear weapons. If, if someone needs a nuclear weapon, it's because their backs are against the wall and they've been beaten down into submission. Well, that, would be, well, that would be Zelensky. Well, that's yeah. But Zelensky, thank God, has not been given one of those by us. Although, not yet. Not well, yet. We, we've had a few uh, nutcases suggest doing that. I know. But no, it hasn't happened. What well, what's the likelihood of what's the likelihood of Biden lending him one? I think it's zero. I think he knows that that would violate not only the non-proliferation treaty, but it would actually bring on a, a global war potentially with Russia and China. But they don't care. <clears throat> Colonel, they don't seem to be in reality. Well, I, I understand that, but let, let's talk about some reality at this point. The, the first point about reality is that the Ukrainians are essentially running out of manpower if they haven't run out completely. They're so desperate that they are pursuing their citizens on foreign soil. Poland, Slovakia, the Czech Republic, Germany. They're trying to get NATO nations, European countries on their borders to forcibly arrest and ship young Ukrainian men back to Ukraine so that they can be sent into the meat grinder. Now, it's not happening uh, because, frankly, I think especially in a place like Poland, the Poles know if they do this, They'll end up in armed confrontations on their own soil because the Ukrainian men that are there won't go back. That means that they'll get into fights. And people do have access to weapons in that country. There are weapons all over the place thanks to this war. So I know I don't think that's going to work, but I think that's evidence for their desperation. Hmm. Now, now, when you're desperate, what you do is you turn and ask for anything that you can get short of a nuclear weapon. I mean, I'm sure he would take a nuke if it were offered. But that's where you get the Storm Shadow missiles, potentially the ATACMS missiles. These are long-range strike weapons, long-range in the sense that they reach out to 200 miles or further. 
even 300 miles. The Germans have the Taurus missile, which is probably the single most lethal variant of these cruise missiles that are available. And I hope the Germans are not stupid enough to give it to them because we know what they'll do. They will strike not only at Crimea, but any other target they can reach on Russian soil. Well, they've been attacking Moscow with drones. What's to stop Zelensky from firing a storm shadow missile into Moscow? It, it won't reach that far. In okay, other words, so- it doesn't have the range to get there. So you're going to look at something that's within range. And there are plenty of cities like Beograd, which is a large Ru- city on Russian soil. There are other locations that they can strike. Now, they just did a lot of damage. Yes. Submarine and a couple of destroyers sitting at, sitting in docks or at docks. That's what worries me. Well, you know, look, the Russians need to understand something. And I think there's if we back up for a minute, we need to understand that at the top of the Russian military command structure, there are many senior officers who are very unhappy with the fact <clears throat> that they have not been given permission to attack. Right. The Russians have over 300,000 troops, well-trained, fully equipped, most modern equipment available, sitting in reserve. And you have senior Russian officers saying, look, we've sat here long enough. Right. Ukrainians have nothing left. We need to end this. If we don't attack, we don't advance to the Dnieper River, if we don't cross it, take Odessa, and at the same time, drive our tanks down the main streets of Kiev, this will not stop. So what's going to happen? Well, you have Mr. Putin sitting on the other side of the table with some of his advisors, and they're saying, wait a minute, we don't want to provoke the NATO states led by the United States to intervene in Western Ukraine. I mean, they've been watching the, the United States forces that are in Poland in Romania, in the Baltic states, there are about 45,000, 50,000 of them there that could be part of an intervention force augmented by our friends, the Poles, potentially, perhaps Romanians, although that's like having nobody with you. But uh, the Poles are at least very, very competent soldiers. The Lithuanians have talked about it. So they're worried about that. They, they, you know, the last thing Putin wants is a wider war. And he doesn't want a wider war that involves NATO and the United States. And that's been his objection thus far. Now, it's come to the point where people are saying, we don't disagree with you. But what makes you think they won't do that anyway if we fail to advance? In other words, by sitting here, we are allowing the illusion to grow in the minds of people in the West that we are weak, that we can't do it. Now, when you talk about the Russians' perspective. Yes. And the, and the Russians are not weak. They're very strong. They're stronger than they made we, since the 1980s. We keep seeing propaganda that although Zelensky's so-called counteroffensive didn't go as expected, they're making some progress. In fact, they damaged a submarine and some ships in a shipyard. And that was, of course, showed that they were, we're getting some money, uh, something for our money from him just before the visit here with the, you know, to come back with another 14 billion. Yeah. Well, this war, and we need to understand this clearly, is not going to be won or lost at sea. Uh, the submarine is is probably junk at this point. They'll have to dump it. Uh, as far as the other two ships are concerned, they'll probably repair those. That's not going to make a dent in the Russian arsenal, but it's a wake-up call, I think, more than anything else, for Moscow to understand Yeah. They don't have anything left with which to attack us. They are in no position to stop us. We can crush them. What they're going to do now is turn to long-range strike weapons. Who is? The Ukrainians. They will launch whatever they can at Russian targets to create the illusion that there is still some fight in them. They have some capability. And the point is, if you're a Russian who lives in Russia right now, you're not very happy about having cities on your border. No pulverized by rockets and missiles. You're not happy about the drones that attack Moscow. And so the population in Russia is furious. It's enraged. And people say all the time, look, we like Vladimir Putin. He's done a good job. He's doing the right thing. But damn it. Come on, Mr. Putin. Let's end this attack. How can That's you- where things are in Russia. But look, you're a military guy. You fought in the biggest tank battle in, in Iraq. Not fought in it, you let it. So talking from a military perspective, 
what would the Russians have to do short of nuking Kiev to stop this war completely? Well, I, I just told you what the Russian military leadership thinks, and that is that you've got to roll right up to the Dnieper River. You've got to cross it. You've got to go north to Kiev, and then you've got to go south into Odessa. Now, the Ukrainians know this. The Ukrainians are evacuating civilians uh. from Kharkov. They are evacuating civilians from Kherson and parts of Odessa. So the Ukrainians are very obviously concerned that this is exactly what the Russians are going to do. But thus far, we've seen no evidence that they will. They can, but thus far, we just haven't seen it. Savage. Home of borders, language, culture, the Savage Nation. We are in this for the long haul. For Ukraine, for Ukrainians, for democracy everywhere. I will tell you, their fight is our fight. You know, I've watched you on your other, you do a lot of shows and People ask more penetrating questions than I do, which I, I enjoy watching your interviews from a military perspective. And some of the interviews are, I mean, I watch them with fascination. And we're talking, and every time you speak, they call you uh, um, an agent of Putin. And I get it when I try to stop the war. And I have to answer with Hillary Clinton's famous statement, peace is patriotic. Uh, it, it stops them. The minute I say peace is patriotic, H. Clinton, they usually stop. Or I say, are you Zelensky's mouthpiece? Or are you a Zelensky stooge? I mean, he, he must have bots the way Trump does. That anyone says anything bad about Zelensky, you get 100,000 bots who call you every name under the sun. Well, in Ukraine, you go to jail. I you think do? I understand it, of course. I can't believe it. Come on, we're supporting a democracy there, Colonel. <laughs> yeah, I don't think he or his friends uh, can spell democracy. So let's drop that silly nonsense. That's a, <laughs> a totally empty facade. Zelensky is, is running a Stalinist state, and he's losing what support he had in the population. I mean, most of the Ukrainians right now are sitting around in the West saying, what are we going to do? When are you going to end this? How do we get out of this? They have, they have people guarding the borders with the West because they can't allow anybody else to leave the country, especially if you're a, a man who is an eligible military a male for service in the Ukrainian armed forces. <clears throat> so <clears throat> I think I think Ukraine is in a lot of trouble. I think Ukraine is on life support. The problem is we're keeping them alive. We're paying the bureaucracy. We're paying for the government. We're paying for the Ukrainian armed forces, what there is of it. Take that out, end that uh, lifeline, and the whole place collapses. Well, we, I accept 100% of what you're saying, but we know that the Uniparty will not stop the war. We know that the UN is right now in the UN, the Pope is even calling for support of Ukraine, not ending the war. The Pope, the man of peace, is calling for more war. It's ridiculous. Well, I suppose uh, since he's a Roman Catholic, uh, there are Uniate Catholics in Western Ukraine, not very many, but they're there. Perhaps that's part of his reasoning. Uh, I what don't about know. China, Colonel? Colonel, as recently as June, Chinese warships cut off U cut off U.S. Navy naval vessels. Military insiders have some concerns that these provocations may lead to a greater conflict. Um, uh, should we be worried now about China? Because isn't China? Aren't China and Russia now somewhat closer as a result of this? <clears throat> the the Chinese are not pursuing us and causing provocations. We have been routinely moving through the what we used to call the Formosa Straits, now yep. Taiwan Straits. Taiwan Straits. And technically, under international law, those are Chinese waters. Wow. Now, the, the Taiwan government has asked us to stop because they tell us privately, I'm talking about the Ministry of Defense, every time you send another surface battle group through there, uh, the Chinese on the other side go crazy. And it takes, you know, a couple of months for everybody to settle down to normalcy. But I keep telling people, and this is very important, the, the PLA, the Chinese Navy, has never stopped, never stopped a commercial vessel. So they're not interrupting or disrupting the movement of commerce. Secondly, the claims that Beijing makes on the South China Sea are identical to the claims that are made by Taipei on Taiwan. They both make identical claims to the to South China Sea. 
we attack publicly the Chinese in Beijing for that, and we ignore the fact that the Taiwanese are right there with them. You know, this doesn't make any sense. Uh, finally, either the Chinese have six nuclear submarines, and they're not terribly reliable. The crews aren't as well trained as they need to be, and the Chinese government's very reluctant to let them travel very far from China. Now, the rest of their submarine fleet consists of diesel electrics. They're stuck in the coastal waters of China. Out of 300 Chinese vessels in the so-called Chinese Navy, over 100 are pure Coast Guard vessels. So what is this Chinese Navy capable of doing? Well, it's capable of sailing within a couple of hundred nautical miles of China, but they very rarely send anybody anywhere else. The Chinese are not a maritime nation. They never have been. Well, the well, a thousand years ago, they were the leading maritime nation. Sorry, you know that, joking. But, you know, today, the, I think the Japanese Navy, if you set them loose, would probably sink the Chinese Navy in a couple of weeks. Wow. Everybody says, well, the Japanese are too weak. They're not, their no. defenses aren't strong enough. Well, I have an answer for that problem. Leave Japan. And the J Japanese will build whatever is required to ensure that China's influence ends at the beach. Well, what do you mean leave Japan? You, you mean if we as Americans yes. out of Japan, let Japan build up its own defense industry? Yes, absolutely. When, when President Trump went to Japan, he spoke publicly and he came back and he said, this is a marvelous country. I admire Japan. I admire what they've achieved here. And they're extremely wealthy. The question I have is, why are we defending them? They can easily defend yeah. themselves. He was right. Yeah, they we built need some to get great out of weapons. This they built some great weapons in World War II on their own, didn't they? Of course. But the, but the point is that there's no reason for hostility between ourselves and Japan. Of course, I don't see any reason for hostility between us and Russia. But my point is, we are running all over the world. We've got 800 bases. We've got over 100,000 troops and another 50,000, 60,000 Air Force and Navy all over the world. Uh, and what are we doing? We're bankrupting ourselves. We, we do not need to be everyone's defender. Roman Most of the world can defend itself. Roman Empire. Roman Empire. You wrote last week, Colonel, in uh, the American Conservative, that our unit party is eager to risk a war. We are ill-equipped to fight. Yeah. Why do you say America is ill-equipped? It's certainly not from equipment. It's from manpower, isn't it? Uh, <clears throat> I would say it's both. Let, let's go through it. First of all, the U.S. armed forces today are still a magnificent tribute to the Second World War. Mm. They're organized the same way. They're prepared to fight that way. If you go back and listen to all of the luminaries in the U.S. military, the, the top generals and admirals, they talked about the coming Ukrainian counteroffensive and how it would be marvelously successful. You remember you heard General Petraeus say these things and the others. And I remember Petraeus talking about, I think they've mastered combined arms. Well, Dr. Savage, combined arms is something the Germans invented and implemented in 1942. This is the 21st century. Warfare has changed dramatically. Mm -hmm. There is no understanding that right now, thanks to persistent surveillance from space and a whole host of terrestrial platforms, nothing can happen in Ukraine without the Russians knowing it. And if they can see everything, they can target everything. They can hit whatever they need to whenever they want to. This is a different environment from anything we've operated in. If I were going to compare it to something historically, mm. I would tell you the Ukrainians are in the same position today as the German army was in the summer and fall of 1944. They couldn't move in the daylight. Remember, mm. we had thousands of fighter aircraft. All of their Air Force assets were defending their cities. So the entire German army in the West was paralyzed, couldn't do anything. That's why we got the bulge. Remember, bad weather, fool the Americans and so forth. It was a long shot. It made no sense. They did it, just shortened the war, thankfully. But, but the bottom line is that's where the Ukrainians are. There's nothing they can do to defeat this force. Now, the Russians know it, but the point that the Russian generals at the top are making is very similar to what we just discussed. Mm -hmm. You can't win this by sitting on the defense. Savage. Michael Savage, a host like no other.
as a military leader, which you were, Battle of 73 Easting, you're a PhD in international relations from the University of Virginia, MA in comparative politics, West Point. You must run war games in your head all the time. I'm sure you do. That's what you're trained to do, isn't it? It's all, it's a strategy. In addition to equipment, it's also the minds behind the use of the equipment. Well, this is why this is why the we are not prepared to fight the Russians. And if we try to do it, we'll be defeated. There's two more reasons we talked about. We're organized for a form of warfare that no longer exists. We're not organized to defeat what the Russian military is organized to execute, which That's is which is ISR strike maneuver warfare. In other words, you have constant surveillance. Everything is linked almost automatically to strike assets, rockets, missiles, mortars, artillery, you name it. And you move your maneuver force on the ground within that framework, as well as integrated air defenses. We have no integrated air defenses. We can't stop a barrage of two or three or 400 missiles aimed at Europe. We have no means of stopping it. We can't protect our forces in the field. We don't have the air and missile defense that is needed. That's why the Ukrainians, whenever they get close to defensive belts, are targeted and annihilated. They're targeted from satellite? Yes, and also <laughs> from, from other platforms. There are all sorts of platforms. Some are manned and some are unmanned. I mean, they have the equivalent of what we would call airborne, airborne warning and control. They have similar platforms that fly just behind their lines. So as soon as an aircraft takes off from an airfield in Ukraine, it's it's immediately sighted. And the word goes out, the aircraft is left. Now, the reason the missiles did the damage they did at uh, in Crimea is they fired 11 of these storm shadows. Yeah. Out of the 11, eight were shot down. Three punched through. And they were able to do some damage. The other element in this equation were some under, unmanned underwater systems. In other words, what we would call an underwater drone or a seaborne drone. Again, thanks to the British. Those things were launched and found their way into the harbor and did damage. You can't protect everything all the time everywhere. You just don't have the assets. Nobody does. But we have none. <laughs> This is the problem. We don't have anything. Not only are we not organized on the ground for this kind of warfare, we have no air and missile defense. So if we are to challenge the Russians in Western Ukraine, we're asking for uh, an ass whipping, to be blunt. But what about we're sending them F-16s next? Well, that's not going to make any difference because F-16s need that airborne warning and control system to target for them. We'll, we'll provide it. Certainly we'll do it. Well, if we do, we've got to be very careful because if we get too close, then the Russians will target it and shoot it down. And the other thing is, wait, wait, we you mean shoot down our shoot down our AWACS, so to yes. speak. Yes, they've already shot down a Global Hawk that got too close to Crimea, which is we a were, drone. Yes, it's unmanned. It's similar to the one that was shot down by the Iranians when it went up and down the center of the Persian Gulf. Remember, President Trump refused to go to war over the unmanned drone. Well, this time they shot down a global hawk and they, they track all of our things. They know roughly where we are. It's when we come within range and present a real danger, we could lose those things and you get a confrontation. Then the question is, what do you do? And if you're a fool, you start a war. You escalate. We can't, we can't win that. Remember, and here's the final thing. And nobody seems to understand this. You don't fight a war against a major power on that power's doorstep. Mm. If the Russians tried to fight us in Mexico, <laughs> how would that go? <laughs> it wouldn't. Very good. That's a good point. Quite salient to the issue. We have a domestic disaster in America with a border that's been melted down by the Biden gang. We have an international disaster uh, of a war that is looming with Russia that actually is a proxy war using the Ukraine. You estimated on your last uh, interview that I saw that there were 400,000 dead Ukrainians. Do you stick by those that analysis? Not only do I stick by it, I have people telling me now that it's probably closer to 450,000. Dead Ukrainians. Yes. But the official party line in the media is what? 
50,000 dead Ukrainians and 500,000 dead Russians? Probably. Yeah, that's what I keep reading from uh, uh, the Pravda of our side. How many, how many times did we kill the uh, Vietnamese insurgency in South Vietnam? How many times did we destroy and defeat the insurgency in Iraq? How many times were we making brilliant progress in Afghanistan? I mean, people have been lying about all of these things for years. You know that as well as I do. And Americans, for some reason, probably because they're not terribly interested anyway, uh, just take it all in. And as long as it doesn't involve a member of their family or they're not personally inconvenienced, they don't care. And when you try to explain to someone that $14 trillion have been lost since 2001 on all these military interventions, and that number doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything because they print they print the money. Yes, exactly. So the question now is, when do the proverbial chickens come home to roost? I don't know. Well, I listened to somebody today said, well, this year it's over $800 billion to service the debt. And that's with interest rates where they currently are. What happens when interest rates go further to 4%, to 5%, to 6%, to 7%? Now you're dealing with trillions of dollars that you're having to pay to service your debt. So do you debase the currency to the point where it's all worthless? Do you become the Weimar Republic? What do you do? Or do you make the decision to default? But if you're going to default, which we've done before, by the way, Franklin Roosevelt defaulted in 34 and again in 36. He simply called it restructuring the debt. What did he do? Well, he he said, we can't pay the interest on our debt. And? He told the creditors. And oh. he said, I need to reduce the payments. He did. Yeah. I didn't know. You know, honest to God, I People did not don't know, know the truth. So we were like in Argent Argentina. Yeah. But we had advantages then. What were the advantages that we had? First of all, we had this tremendous scientific industrial base, industry. We had lots of trained manpower that had to be somehow or another had to be brought back to work. So the creditors knew. We had this manufacturing base. We could absorb the unemployed and put them to work, number one. War number machine. two, we had enormous, enormous quantities of gold at our disposal. Gold. Because we demanded that the British and the French and others who owed us money from World War I pay us in gold. In gold. gold. So you had those two tremendous advantages. What have you got now? Where's our manufacturing base? Well, it's in Malaya or China. Or Indonesia or Vietnam. You know, what about all these trained workers? What's happened to our workforce? I mean, most people look at our workforce and just shake their heads and say, well, Americans aren't trained. What? How do we get better workers? Well, we've been ignoring the plight of the American worker now for decades. That well, can't be fixed overnight. Well, they've been put to work uh, on smash and grabs in jewelry stores, some of them. Well, uh, you know, the point is that we don't have that advantage. We don't have the advantage frankly, of the gold any longer. You know, Colonel, I, as, a, as, a, as a student of history, I look at Napoleon. Napoleon bankrupted France with his endless wars. People don't realize that. And when this thing started, I kept trying to say to my audience, every bullet costs money. Every bullet costs a certain amount of dollars. And Biden is bankrupting America with this war. The war basically is one of the leading elements of our bankruptcy right now, isn't it? It's bleeding us dry. Well, just one small correction. Yes, up please. Until eight, up until 1809, war was very profitable for France. <laughs> the reason for that is that they looted the gold reserves from all the countries they defeated. Oh, that's so when they France, had gold-based currency. Exactly. Just as the Nazis, when they overran Europe, what did they do? They gold. stole the gold. Okay, now when did it all fall apart? Well, that has to do with the Russian campaign. That was overreaching. And that's when the bankruptcy really began to set in because he had nothing left in the treasury. All I'm trying to say is we haven't done that. We don't have any additional gold reserves pouring into our country. But we're not a gold-based currency anymore. Basically, there's no. no fundamental to it. And now we have the Saudis and the Emirates who say they're joining the BRICS and they're already trading oil in their own currency. They're selling oil to China in yuan. They're not insisting on the quote unquote petrodollar. 
And people say, well, it'll be years before this really affects us. Well, I'm not so sure because they're trading in their currency now. In other words, everyone is circumventing the financial system we set up under Bretton Woods and then subsequently when Nixon took us off the gold standard. So we have set up a financial system that's beneficial to us. And people have said, we've had it with you. So they're running around it. Mm. And this has worked brilliantly for Putin. It's worked brilliantly for China. India is joining this. So will the so is Saudi Arabia, the Emirates, the the other various uh, oil powers, Iran, and now we're seeing parts of uh, Latin America turn in the same direction. You know, there were 84 nations that have expressed an interest in joining this BRICS business. Savage. The Savage Nation. It's Savage on demand. Colonel Azerbaijan launched a military attack uh, yesterday or the day before yesterday uh, against so-called uh, uh, Armenian-controlled areas yeah. using high-precision weapons mm-hmm. to attack Armenian-backed forces and target Armenian military positions. Where's this going to go? What's this with Azerbaijan and Armenia now? Well, Let's keep in mind there are three great powers that have a permanent strategic interest in what happens in the Caucasus. The Turks, the Iranians, and the Russians. Now, obviously, uh, the the Azeri Turks, Azerbaijan is a Turkish state. The Azeri Turks would not be doing what they are unless they had already discussed this and cleared it with Mr. Erdogan in Ankara. They would not move on their own. Secondly, you have Armenia, which has said it wants to join the EU. Oh, God. And historically, the Armenians have been closely allied with the Russians because they're all Orthodox Christians. Mm-hmm. And Russia has historically protected the Armenians. So it's a religious war all over again. Well, it's, it's, it's ethnic, it's religious, it's strategic, it's business, all of it combined. Uh, Nakorno... Uh, Karabakh is a region that has been disputed now for years. Almost as soon as the Soviet state system collapsed, there was fighting there. Mm-hmm. The Armenians gained an upper hand, but they've now largely lost that strategic battle to Azerbaijan. Mm. Remember, the last time there was a crisis, Putin intervened. He went in and negotiated directly with Azerbaijan. And also Mr. Erdogan on the sidelines told the Azeris, Listen to President Putin. And so they came up with a solution. Well, right now, since the Armenians have decided that they want to cast their lot with the EU and potentially NATO, Mr. Putin's not there. Hmm. The world at war. Tolstoy wrote it uh, in War and Peace. You and I are trying to uh, talk peace with our interviews together. And we're not getting anywhere. It's getting worse. Now, Zelensky sacked six deputy defense ministers before he arrived with his handout for more money. Of course, <laughs> we know the corruption isn't going to end simply because he fired six no. deputy defense ministers. We know corruption is endemic in Ukraine. Yes. Uh, when will the Republican Party, you know, the majority of Americans, apparently by the latest poll, oppose any more aid to Ukraine? Yes. We can conclude with this. Because Zelensky, by the time this appears on Friday, will have been here and gone home with his, with his uh, Halloween sack filled with more money. You know he's going to get the, the, the bailout. Well, I, I think he absolutely will, unfortunately, because no one wants to stand up and say, gosh, we miscalculated. Russia isn't weak. We're not harming Russia. Russia has harmed us through our own stupidity and our European allies. No one wants to admit the truth. And so it's easier to continue to spend money. Now, can we go on spending money? And this is back to the economic question. And I don't have the answer. I don't know. It depends on whom you talk to. Talk to Ricards, talk to Peter Schiff, any of these people. And they'll tell you, we've got maybe six to 12 months left. And then we're going to see more banks fail. We're going to see the the treasury market collapse. Then finally, the the stock market will probably be the last thing that actually (laughs) But, you know, if they're right, I'm laughing because you're more doom and gloom. than I am. 
Well, I mean, I, I, it depends on who you want to believe, but I don't believe, frankly speaking, anything Powell says. I don't believe anything this government says. I stopped believing them for a long time ago. Mm-hmm. So I, I try to practice what I preach, and I've gotten completely out of real estate. I've oh. gone liquid on everything, and yes, I've invested in some gold. I'm not a very wealthy man, but I plan to survive this thing, and I think bad news is coming. Now, that'll probably have an impact. But until that happens and intervenes, nothing will change. Let's conclude with one thing. Okay, so the M1 Abrams, are, uh, Lord Austin promises that they're arriving soon. How do the tanks get there? They can't arrive. Uh, they're going to come in by railroad from Poland, probably, correct? Yes, and they'll try to rail them all the way to eastern Ukraine. How could they do that? Won't the Russians try to blow them up on the way? I would, I would imagine so. I'd be surprised if they didn't. Now, the other thing is that they can also put them on truck beds, very heavy equipment transport, and they can drive them there. But, you know, the, the point is, these things are, are not going to have the impact that everybody wants. It's an old, it's an, almost an old weapon. Attack. Well, it's, a, it's, it's old, but it's still potent. But the problem is, is also profoundly human. Who are the crews? Who are these people? You Hundreds mean, of thousands of, of Ukrainian soldiers are dead. All the veterans, the people that were originally trained, were dead by Christmas. You don't have very many highly trained people. So you've got to have you've got to put the crew together. It has to exercise. It has well, to you, train. Then you, you have to put it within a larger framework. Won't it be American troops in there in Ukrainian uniforms? Uh, well, I sincerely hope not. Well, I, my guess is that the special forces have been our forces have been fighting for Ukraine for over a year now. Yeah, but that's, that's different. They're not mounted at any equipment like this. You just don't pick somebody off the street and say, this is not a Chrysler or a Mercedes. Get in it, turn on the ignition and then drive. You know, it's a very complex piece of equipment. It takes time to train someone. I would say it takes at least a year. So I don't know what they expect to achieve with these things. But if we if what I have seen already with the leopards and the challengers, it's not because the equipment is bad. It's ah. because the people aren't trained to use it. They don't know how to employ it. Well, the leopards and, and the leopards are being destroyed right away, aren't they? Well, in most cases, they're, again, it's top attack. They're being struck by drones, struck by rockets, struck by artillery. They never get close enough to shoot anything. So the, we could wind up seeing the Abrams blown up. Yes. Exactly. And then that would be what a slap in the face to America when our incredible weapon system is suddenly blown up in our face. You, you, doctor, you cannot build an army on the fly. It takes years Ooh. to build armies. Well, we could scream all we want and no one's listening. No. You know, in other words, we know we're on the side of peace and we're not warmongers. I'm a civilian, you're a military man, but we both want the same thing. And I want to conclude by saying this. Peace is patriotic. There's no end game that's good here. And the thing is, this has to end yesterday, not tomorrow. Unfortunately, we have a band of crazy people running the entire uniparty, as they are called today. Now we got the Abrams uh, arriving and tomorrow the F-16s. Next, the missing F-35 will suddenly show up in Ukraine, although Explain that to me. How can an F-35 disappear and not be the, 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 the wreckage not be found? How is that possible? I, you know, I, I guess Houdini can answer that. No, but, but Colonel, help, fill me in on this. You say that the Russians could use satellites to see the movement yes. of equipment in, into Ukraine. So, so we. F-35 goes down in the North Carolina, in the Carol, wherever it went down, somewhere in the eastern United States. I've been told that for some reason, I guess the transponder wasn't on. So I've heard that. Again, I don't know all the facts. I, I just don't. But couldn't they pick up a debris field probably, with a satellite, which can see a postage stamp from space? I, I would think so. But <laughs> how, I, could, how could we believe they couldn't find it for days? I, I don't know. I just don't know. I mean, it, there's something very wrong with this entire event. Yes. I think there's a tremendous effort to conceal whatever happened because they want to preserve this F-35 program. Ah. And if you, you know, if you begin to release information, then it may raise questions in other people's minds about whether or not they should invest in it. I'm talking about allies and friends. Ah. So I just, I just don't know. But, you know, the, 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 for, for humanitarian reasons, we should be interested at this point in saving 
what is left of Ukraine. And then how do you repatriate millions of people that have left that country back to the country? You really want to get them home. The Europeans don't want the Ukrainians. I mean, they, you know, the Germans and the rest of them are tired of it. In Poland, everybody suffers from what is publicly called Ukrainian fatigue. That's one of the reasons the poll, the, the polling data and results have changed in Poland. Poles are no longer interested in being part of the war in Ukraine, and they've said so. Mm. They said, send the Ukrainians back. Get them out of here. Mm-hmm. Well, we need to do that, but that's not going to happen until there's peace. All right, Joe Biden delivers a full-throated defense of America's backing for Ukraine, uh, and everyone should stand with Zelensky at the U.N. speech, which occurred yesterday. Meanwhile, a senior House GOP lawmaker said not enough votes in House Republican conference for Ukraine aid. I don't think that's going to hold. I think they'll be bought off one way or the other. And uh, Pope Francis has nothing to say other than back Ukraine and uh, stop the uh, ecological catastrophe of climate change. So who's the biggest peacemaker on the planet today? Who is that? Who would that be? I don't know. Trump wants the war to end. Are there any other world leaders calling for peace? Well, RFQ, RFK Jr. wants to end it. Yes. Donald Trump wants to end it. Uh, I haven't heard anybody talk about how they would proceed to do that, frankly. And I think that needs some discussion because you can't simply wave a magic wand and end the conflict. You have Russian interests here at stake. The Russians aren't going to say, oh, thank you so much for ending the war. We'll go home now. That's mm-hmm. not going to happen. So some thought has to be given to how you how you go about reaching an arrangement that will allow us to stop killing each other. Ugh. Colonel, it's always uh, an agony speaking with you. <laughs> <laughs> no, you have a good sense of humor, but we have to have a little gallows humor here. We're living in a pretty terrible time when you consider what's going on to the nation at the border, in our streets, in our universities, in our courts in our voting system, and now overseas. The world is a wreck. It's a total wreck. And these same individuals who have destroyed the world are liable to trigger World War III on purpose, in my estimation. I don't, I'm not so sure that there's any rationality in any of them. Well, if, if that were to happen, I still think it would be accidental. But the problem is that you don't want to put yourself in a position where such an accident could happen. And unfortunately, we move closer to that every day because are are you interested in politics colonel are you wanting to run for anything why not too old like me run to the men's room but that's about it (laughs) stop it no i'm saying you you have no aspirations for congress or anything like that look look, doctor i i was a lifelong professional soldier i enjoyed it immensely the military is my passion uh, but i've never been interested in partisan politics that's one of the reasons that i join this new organization called Our Country, Our Choice, because I'm tired of the partisanship. And I think there are plenty of Democrats and Republicans who hold similar views that if we can unite them, they can have an impact. Yeah, I may be delusional. <laughs> that's what I think. I'm really tired of this, uh, this non-choice of the uni- unity uh, uniparty. There's just no choice. What's the difference? Sure, you can point to somebody like Chip Roy. I think he's a great person. I think he's one of the real leaders out there. But, you know, he's he's King Lear screaming in the storm. There's not enough people for him. Years ago, when I began in radio, which is over almost 30 years now, I called it the Democans or Republicrats. Yep. Basically, nothing has changed, only it's more obvious now. Well, you're smarter than the rest of us. Took me a little longer to figure it out. Democrats or Republicrats? That was my mantra, and people thought I was being facetious. I wish I had been more facetious, but I wasn't. And so I have to return, therefore, to doing watercolors, I think, in my old age, because there's very little else left. Now, seriously, this is great. I love speaking with you. It's always a privilege and an honor. And I will not sleep as well tonight as I did last night. Thank you very much. <laughs> For, for the very sobering analysis. And I don't even know what to call this podcast. How do we put it? The latest on Ukraine-Russia war? Well, it's, a good friend of mine puts it this way. He said, Doug, every time I talk to you, I feel like I need to drink heavily. Well, that I do anyway at night. So. <laughs>
that half a bottle of wine prescribed by the cardiologist, he gave me dispensation. I said, can I still have my wine after my event in 2009? He said, it's a very good anesthetic. Yes. Two glasses a night is fine. For those few hours that I drink the two glasses of wine, I do not fear death and dying. And I don't think about mortality. So if I get two good hours out of 24, Doug, I consider that a victory. Well, that's uh, that's not bad. There's another way to look at this. And uh, there was a famous officer in the Civil War in the U.S. Army, and uh, he was talking to someone. He said, my God, there are so many Confederates out there. He said, what are we going to do? He said, well, if the numbers bother you, don't count them. (laughs) Don't look at your blood chemistry work. (laughs) Don't look at your your lipid panel. That's right. You got it. Colonel, stay healthy. We need you. And you should run for office. Uh, No, I I wouldn't wish that upon my worst enemy. You shouldn't run for office. Absolutely not. Keep doing what you're doing. You're doing a great job. At least you're, you know, the tide is changing on public opinion because a goodly percentage of Republicans oppose this Ukraine money pit, war pit nightmare right now. I don't know if it's true with Democrats, but you are making an impact for sure. Well, thanks. I appreciate it. Okay. Keep fighting. All the best to you. Uh, you're a young guy yet. Keep it up. Thank you. Appreciate it, Colonel McGregor. A real pleasure. Bye now. Savage. Well, thank you very much for listening to today's podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it and you'll learn something from it. We have about 400 other episodes available for you to listen to absolutely free. You can go back into our vast library of podcasts and listen to any one of them at any time. And remember this, if you want to listen to my podcast ad-free... Sign up for the Savage Premium Membership and get access to ad-free podcasts as well as some premium content from our Savage Archives. How do you sign up for those ad-free podcasts? Please visit michaelsavage.com for a link. Again, thank you for your listenership. This is Michael Savage.